You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Dom Grimao of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! What's up, everybody? Here is another episode for your ears. Super stoked to bring this to you and super stoked that you're listening. I don't have as much house cleaning to do on this one as I have on others, so suffice it to say, if you like the show and you've been enjoying it and you're going to buy some gear, if you're going to buy it from Reverb or Sweetwater, consider using the affiliate links I have. If you can go to ToneMob.com slash Reverb or ToneMob.com slash Sweetwater, for all of your purchasing needs and all of your gear desires. That comes back and helps the show and puts a little bit in my pocket and doesn't cost you anything extra. All you have to do is go to ToneMob.com Sweetwater or ToneMob.com Reverb for that, and the links are in the show notes in case you are forgetting. Also, if you would like more of this nonsense stream to your ears, there is always Patreon. You can go to Patreon.com ToneMob, and for just five bucks a month, you will get extra episodes every week, usually in the form of extended interviews with that week's guest. It's a lot of fun. Some of the best content that I've done is over there, and there are so many extra bonus episodes that you will unlock by simply going there. Wow, got that busted out relatively quickly. So let's just get into this episode with Dan from Old Blood, somebody I've been wanting to get on for a long time. Old Blood Noise Endeavors makes great pedals. If you haven't heard of them and you're a pedal geek, I'm very surprised, but if you have, that's probably why you're listening to this now. So let's go for it. Let's get into it. Let's find out more. Here we go. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Tone Mob podcast, the show about guitars and stuff occasionally. Sometimes it's about other things, too. With me today, I have... Dan Piacek from Old Blood Noise, and I just realized before we started recording that the last time I recorded with anyone from Old Blood that my house almost burned down, and uh, now I'm in the middle of uh, all of these crazy fires. Well, I'm not in the middle. We're, we're on the uh, safe side, but just got done dealing with all these crazy fires, and it's like, why not? Why not do another episode with Old Blood for, you know, continuity's sake? We'll aim for uh, for no fires this time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think we aimed for that last time. It was just <laughs> That's true. We'll aim for some fires and hope to miss. I don't, I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure how this works. Yeah. No, I I don't know. Things are crazy. That's all I know. That's all I can really yeah. say for certain. But uh, yeah, this you're an interesting person to have on for a lot of reasons. But one of them being, I know you listen to a lot of the episodes. Sometimes, well, most of the time guests don't listen to all that many episodes so they <laughs> they don't know the run through and they don't know the uh, odd rabbit holes that this tends to go down but i feel like you'll yeah. you're uh, you've already had a good crash course on it i've heard you i've heard you talk to to many people and go down a lot of rabbit holes and 
going into this and like, man, I have no idea where we're going to end up, but we'll find out, I guess. <laughs> That's the whole point, right? Yeah. Well, we've met, uh, I don't know how many times we've met at this point, at least two or three uh, at various conventions and whatnot. But uh, I really don't know that much about you other than you work for Old Blood Noise and you really like music and guitar stuff. So where did that start? Where did, what's your backstory? What got you into this? How'd you end up at Old Blood? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of like where to start. I mean, in terms of playing guitar, that was like a, a middle school thing where my, uh, my dad just kind of at some point was interested in like learning to play the guitar. And so he got one of those like, you know, kind of student like starter acoustics and started taking some, some lessons. And so there was just a guitar around the house. And, uh, in fifth grade, I signed up to play viola in the school orchestra and actually ended up playing viola, like all the way through my senior year of high school. And then basically not picking it up since then, which is a bit of a shame really, but uh, <laughs> it, uh, I like was kind of interested in stringed instruments from that. And then there was this guitar just kind of around the house that I would just kind of pick up and play around with and kind of interest ebbed and flowed. And then in like seventh or eighth grade, I don't know, it just kind of, at one point it just something clicked and I was like, man, I want to play guitar all the time and was listening to a lot of, I feel like Weezer and Dashboard Confessional were like the first two bands that I was like wanting to learn a lot of songs of. So it was simultaneously like big distorted, you know, crunchy power chords and then like open tuned, sad acoustic songs, uh, which kind of still follows through to this day in terms of like (laughs) the two things (laughs) I like to play. (laughs) Um, So yeah, kind of starting there and just like, starting to write songs in high school, going away to college and continuing and mostly doing solo stuff. Uh, but working with uh, my, my buddy, Ben, who, uh, he went to the high school across town, but we met kind of in late high school era and started collaborating on some stuff. And, uh, if you've, uh, you may have heard my band, but it, my band is called plain speak and he's still like my partner in that we've just been good friends for a very long time and, and kind of musical partners for, yeah, over a decade now, I guess. That's crazy. Uh, I know. It's yeah. weird when you start. Like, like, I'm like, I remember 15 years. Wait a minute. What? How many years ago? How old am I? What is going on right now? I know the I'm feeling. Like, I'm, I'm trying to like think of the scope of from, you know, sixth grade when I first picked up a guitar to now when I'm like doing algorithms for effects pedals. I'm like, man, how do you, what, what is, what is my story? Um, so... I guess to fast forward then to 2013, um, I basically, I had gone to school in Michigan and, uh, moved to Washington DC for a couple of years. Cause my, my girlfriend now fiance in a month, she'll be my wife, which is very exciting. Um, Ooh, congratulations. Thanks. Yeah. She, uh, she had gotten an internship with the Smithsonian and we moved out to DC for a couple of years and, uh, Ben and I had been kind of working on this album, Uh, like long distance, like whenever I could come visit and, you know, just writing songs and bouncing them back to him and going into a studio to record as many drums as we could in one day and all that stuff. Um, And in like early 2013, uh, he, he and his girlfriend were living in Moore, Oklahoma, and it was hit with a big F5 tornado uh, that um, 
some people listening may be familiar with because it was just this just an absolutely devastating tornado and basically it uh it completely leveled their house they were okay but it took the house all the way down to the foundation along with the couple hard drives that had our album on it so it was this weird like small tragedy among a much larger tragedy um but it kind of became this catalyst where i was like i feel like i need to move back to Oklahoma at least for a little while and like do long distance thing and like work on remaking this album and trying to play shows and like trying to see if I can make music a thing. Um, that was kind of a big flex point for like me as a musician being like, I'm going to, you know, make a big move and dedicate, you know, dedicate a lot of myself to doing this. But the twist of it is at the time, Ben was working for Mammoth Electronics, which I know you'll be familiar with probably a lot of the listeners. It's like they're not around anymore, but they were this big uh, parts supplier in Norman for a lot of like all kinds of companies, effects pedal companies. And so when I moved back, he was able to get me a job at Mammoth, which was my kind of surprise entry into the world of effects pedals because I... I was already a bit of a nerd about them, but then suddenly there was this like place for me in the industry, even though I was just like racking up enclosures for, for powder coating, you know, it was very much just like a manufacturing job, but it was like, oh, this is amazing. Like this, you know, I'd, I'd be racking up a pedal and be like, oh, I've heard of this pedal before. <laughs> and, uh, little sidebar would a lot of yeah, the sure. listeners probably don't know. And now I can finally say is, a. Uh, uh, yeah, I was doing their social media. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. <laughs> I forgot about not, that. <laughs> not at the same time, I don't think, as you were there. I think you had moved on to Old Blood by the time I'd I think started that doing point, that. Yeah. But yeah, I, I a lot of people don't know that. But it's like, yeah, that was that was me. And it was a combination of me and Scott from Stringjoy because we work on everything together, basically. Oh, and, that's uh, funny. I didn't. I knew that you and Scott worked on a bunch of stuff, but I didn't realize that he was part of the yeah the mammoth uh, social media account. That's funny. Yeah, he ran it. I ran it for a long time uh, by myself, and then we got another client, and so we kind of switched things around. And he ran it basically up until they closed. It was him for the last oh, probably okay. year, year maybe year and a half somewhere in that ballpark. So yeah, a lot of people didn't know that, but you know. NDAs and stuff, but NDAs don't matter when the company's not around anymore. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably a lot of a lot of uh, mammoth related gossip stuff. That it's like, can I talk about that? I don't know. They're not around anymore. <laughs> hey, what are they gonna do? Um, Stew me? They don't exist. <laughs> <laughs> we, we can get into that yeah. later. Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say we can. Yeah, and feel free to stop me at any point if you've got questions about my very like truncated paraphrased version of my my entire history but uh but yeah so like ended up at at mammoth and then ended up uh working in a position uh like doing inventory stuff so doing the the purchasing for all the parts and everything um they just kind of needed somebody to do that like full time and so i kind of interviewed within the company and bumped up to that position and did that for i don't know probably like a year and a half and I was still working at Mammoth when uh, Seth and Brady started Old Blood because that would have been, I think, August of 2014. Um, 
which was actually also when Plainspeak put out our debut album, like the the recreation of that album that we'd lost and then put back together. Uh, also, we we put that out in August 2014 as well. So just kind of an interesting like parallel there. I actually had a like a prototype or a demo unit of the Black Fountain on my board at our like album release show, like right before it came out, which was a lot of fun. Just to. I don't know. It's a fun, fun connection point uh, to look back on. Uh, Cause yeah, I was, I was friends with those guys. And then in 2015, summer of 2015, um, lost the job at Mammoth, uh, which is the whole thing that, you know, we can, <laughs> we can talk about off air. Um, okay. But, uh, <laughs> All right. Juicy. Yeah, it, was Juicy. Just, yeah, it was one of those, it was, it was just a, a mess of a situation and ended up like, losing the job and just being like, wow, that was, I did not expect to lose that job. <laughs> and so kind of reeling from that, I just, uh, ended up like talking with Seth and Brady and they were like, well, you, you know, some about like kind of parts procurement, the purchasing and like inventory management side of things. And since they were, you know, a year out and starting to grow, they were like, maybe we can bring you on part-time to help out with some of that stuff. And so that for the, first like couple years of the company was basically like doing all the inventory stuff and then learning how to run the drill press and do the screen printing. And so I was doing a lot of the kind of enclosure processing stuff. Like I would drill them and then we'd get them powder coated elsewhere and then they'd come back and I'd screen print them and uh, just manage all the parts inventory. And then uh, in Sorry, I was just making a choice of whether to talk about like a very personal thing because I don't want things to get too too like sad too fast. But I feel like it's an important point in in uh, in 2016. Uh, my mom, she basically she'd been fighting cancer for about nine months and she passed away. And obviously, that's just a huge tragedy for for anybody to go through and kind of later that year, I found that I started getting really interested in like knowing how effects pedals work and looking back on it, I feel like there was an element of like, I need to like take my interest and like dive deep, pull it apart and understand it because other things felt sort of too big to understand. And so I, w I wasn't conscious of that choice, but just looking back and realizing that I think there was a lot about like getting into the nitty gritty of electronics and coding that was almost like a, a calming kind of therapeutic thing for me of like, this is something I can, I can dig into and, and understand. And almost like something I, I can't control this other stuff, but I can control this. Exactly. This yeah. This is, and manage it, you know? That, yeah. That, this that's is something I, that, yeah, that like brings me joy and I can, I can figure out how to, maybe make it do some other things that bring me more joy and maybe bring other people joy. And, you know, so it, I was mostly just, I was like reading the, you know, the Wampler books from way back when, and uh, just kind of other things that were just like, here's how an op amp works. Here's how you create distortion or a tone control or, or things like that. And was just kind of doing this outside of old blood, just as kind of a general interest. Uh, but I would occasionally ask Brady questions about things and, he basically was like, Hey, you kind of, you seem like you're, you're interested in this. And 
what we could really use is is somebody else doing some of the FV1 stuff. Uh, the FV1 being the you know the digital chip that a lot of our stuff and just a lot of all kinds of effects are, are based on that chip. Um, and so he kind of set me up with like you know here's the software and some kind of basics of of how it goes. Um, just maybe spend like a couple hours a week at work to to play around with it and see if you take to it and. Um, I was a, I was a creative writing major in college, but I took some computer science classes. Um, they at Michigan State they didn't have minors really, but they had cognates, which were almost like mini minors. And so I had a, a cognate in computer science. Uh, so just having that little bit of background, uh, something about the FV one, which it has its own like specialized uh, programming language, but something about it just gelled, and I kind of quickly steamrolled into like we were about to start working on the excess and it was like suddenly i was making a delay in a chorus to go in the excess and then uh early the next year i was working on the flat light and dweller and it was just like suddenly i had switched from i still i still run the inventory but i'd switched from inventory and drilling and screen printing and all these other things to inventory and really like you know 60 70 percent of the time product design um yeah i think that's the and the explains it all guy. of the story yeah oh yeah and then <laughs> yeah that started too i forget often that i'm public facing too <laughs> like <laughs> I'll, be at, I'll be at like one of the deli stomp box and somebody will ask me a question and one person like asked me once but it's just some some particular question. They were like, and I know you've already explained this pedal to me, but can you uh, tell me about this part of it? That's <laughs> like, right. pause for a second. Like, what do you mean I already explained it to you? You just walked up. Oh, right. The videos. Yeah. Yeah. I do those. And yeah, that, yeah. Kind, of, that kind of grew alongside the, yeah, just getting interested in stuff. The first one we did was, was about the excess and the series and parallel routing. And then that just kind of became our, our format for how we do tech demos. And yeah, it's been a lot of fun to explore what I think of as a character. Like it's just me, but I like to think that Dan from Dan explains it all is like a slightly different version of me. So it's fun too. He seems like a slightly different version of you. He's a little yeah, more, uh, I don't know what the word would be. How would I describe it? Maybe he's just a little more. That's that maybe it's the that's best probably, way to describe yeah. him. <laughs> it's the classic, like, <laughs> just, oh, no, it's not me. It's just a character based on me. Oh, what's the character like? Well, it's me, except a little bit more. <laughs> it's me with a magnifying glass held up, too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I feel yeah, like he's also somewhat, somewhat grumpy the amount of times that we've, like, started shoots where he, like, walks in and sees the light and it's like, oh, man, I've got to explain another thing. Right. Flips on Again. Has to go through 10. Yeah. <laughs> He's a much grumpier person than I am, I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, even doing this podcast, it's it I'm I'm still me. Like I'm you've met me, like you know, but like yeah. there is a little bit of you know, I'm a little bit I, this is kind of going to sound kind of strange because I'm not the most eloquent speaker in the world, but I'm more eloquent on the podcast whereas I'm just kind of a redneck who says things like crick and warsh uh, <laughs> in real life. So I, I try to be a little more precise with my speaking, even though I'm stumbling over myself all the time. So that probably sounds ridiculous to a lot of the listeners, but I'm doing my best over here because Hillbilly Blake is, is a real, is a real thing. And I try to 
suppress him a little <laughs> bit on the podcast because then no one would know what I was talking about. <laughs> yeah, there's something about uh, having a focused conversation of like, okay, we're going to talk for for an hour that like just kind of focuses you up in a weird way. I don't know if I'm speaking any differently, but I'm very cognizant of the fact that I keep saying like. So there's, <laughs> there's definitely something different about being on mic versus just, you know, having a chat off mic. So. For sure. There's some things that I say that have been pointed out to me over the years that are just grammatically completely incorrect. And I'm just like, well, I mean, I don't know if I can do anything about that, but I've gotten better. So, and, and it has translated out into real life as well, because sometimes, you know, when I'm just having like a buddy conversation and we're just chilling, that's different. But like what the podcast has made me better at is in serious situations. We're like, oh, we have to have a discussion about this. I'm much clearer with my speaking than I used to be. It's a weird mm. byproduct that I didn't expect. <laughs> it's good though. Yeah, I guess it's just you're developing communication skills and so those can be applied. Yeah, in the podcast world and in the the world of just having a serious conversation about something. I used to be in in high school and stuff. I was really pretty good at public speaking. And I wonder if I would get any better or if I would be worse at it now. I think I would be better as far as like my actual speaking skills. But I think I would be worse because I'm used to just staring at a microphone with nobody staring back at me, even <laughs> though I'm interviewing somebody. So if I had a bunch of eyeballs on me all of a sudden, I wonder if I would if I would get weird. That didn't used to bother me, so I'm not sure. But it's just a weird thing I've thought about before. I'm like, could I public yeah, speak? I wonder. I wonder if I could do it anymore. <laughs> Strange yeah, times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pre-COVID, I was actually going to go to what made me even think about that is I was going to go to a, a school. I was invited to a school by a, a local school by a listener, uh, Brandon. I, I think I say his last name, right? Souse. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Sorry, Brandon. And uh, he was like, yeah, you want to come speak to my students because he teaches music at a local school. And I was like, about what? <laughs> like, what do you mean? <laughs> and he was just like, oh, like different paths in the music industry. And I was like, oh, actually, okay, I think I can talk about that because, you know, and you yourself too. Like, you think of the music industry and you think of Beyonce or some sort of performer like a kid does, right? Yeah. But there's yeah. so much more. There's so many other career paths. If you want to be involved in music, you can and you don't have to be the performer if you don't want to be. I think it took me a while to kind of reconcile the the idea that like I moved back to Oklahoma to be a musician and, you know, for, for whatever reason, just like, you know, not having the, the sheer hustle or the, the talent or whatever the thing is, you know, like, uh, that didn't pan out, but then I was simultaneously working. I was working in the music industry technically from the kind of, from the time that I started working at Mammoth, that was pretty far disconnected but it was like it over the course of the next few years suddenly i was more and more connected until eventually i was actually you know designing pedals that musicians are using and it was a weird realization of oh wait i i ended up working in the music industry this this was my goal but i didn't realize this was a path to it you know <laughs> so same like same thing here. I was, it actually took me a while to realize that that's what I was doing. I was like, no, I'm podcasting. I'm, I'm a podcaster, which is its own industry, of course. But 
everyone I talk to is music related. Everything that I do is music related. I'm, I work in the music industry and it's weird to wrap my brain around that. Even like if you would have told young Blake who was obsessed with music and that's all he cared about that you no, you are going to work in the music industry. I'd have been like, how, what do you mean? Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I'm just a consumer. So it's a, uh, it's wonderful though. It's wonderful that there are so many an uh, avenues and I, I hope people who are passionate about this kind of stuff, figure out their own path because it's not always being the drummer or being the guitar player or being the singer. Sometimes it's making the pedals that the guitar player uses and draws inspiration out of like, who knows how many thousands of different uh, songs you've inspired, you know, directly through your creations. It's a crazy thing to think about. Yeah. It's, it's nuts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's like when I think about it, it's like I was basically just from the point that I got interested in effects pedals, like by the when I got a looper and was like, oh, how can I layer different sounds without them kind of uh, like muddying each other up or like creating, you know, I was doing solo shows with a loop pedal in that first moment of like, how do I craft sound to better convey my musical ideas? It's like, yeah, that was the interest the whole time. And so here is just a different but very similar thing of like how do, how do I craft sound to help others develop musical ideas you know how do I make a pedal that to me sounds really interesting because when I play through it I feel inspired by it and then put that out into the world in hopes that others will be too you know it's it, it's just so funny looking back and being like yeah kind of all along I just like was interested in guitar sounds like and I thought that to do that for a living I would have to be like a famous you know, songwriter for a band, but I didn't have to. <laughs> you know? No, no. But the famous songwriters for bands, they need people like you too. I was just talking to my wife last night about this. She's, you know, she doesn't really get the whole pedal thing, even though she's like surrounded by it and sees, you know, sees pedals. She doesn't really yeah. understand like the actual level of importance because most of her favorite artists are very stripped down and, you know, acoustically driven and stuff. And she's like, well, this guy didn't need pedals. And I was like, and I was like listening to the recording I'm like, yeah, but he's still using effects, whether he's using them on his guitar or not. Like, listen, there's reverb on that guitar. Like, <laughs> you know, like he still needed something. Yeah, sure. He, the song's great on its own and doesn't need anything, but the instrument, but you know, trying to explain to her like why this stuff is kind of important and what it's actually how it's impacting the industry or not just the industry but music as a whole i mean there's a whole movie being made on it for crying out loud yeah <laughs> like, <laughs> like the pedals are important it's, that's yeah, what i it's keep the, telling myself <laughs> yeah i was gonna say it's the thing that like the listener's not gonna know but you know i mean we might you know we're gonna notice specific nuances and things but like the you know the quote unquote listener, the, you know, the idea of the mainstream listener is not going to hear anything, whether it's the, um, the songwriter who was inspired by a pedal to write a thing or the producer that applied effects to that acoustic guitar to just, you know, make it sound better, more, you know, so that mainstream listener might enjoy it more without even knowing why all these steps along the way where the pedals are probably influencing the fact that you're hearing that thing and enjoying it, whether you're able to process it or not, like, 
I think back to in, in middle school as a huge fan of blur and still am to this day, but the way that I listened to the band has really changed over the, you know, however many years to the point where like now I'm just kind of focusing in on like, Oh man, that sound that like Graham is getting is just wild. I wonder what effects he was using or what, you know, how his setup was. Whereas in middle school, I was just hearing the songs in a way where I wasn't even picking out individual parts. It was just like, I like these songs. And now I can go back and dig deep and realize there were all these really special things happening that I didn't even notice at the time. Yeah. That's making me think back to when I was a kid and it's a weird thing that I've always had, but I didn't know how to describe. I was always very into a, I like, yeah, I had to like the song first clearly, but I was always very into the way it was constructed, you know, physically. I was like, how, how, cause like I had a guitar and I couldn't make it sound like, you know, insert band here. I, I like, it doesn't sound like yeah. that at all. Why can't I get, I got distortion, but it's not the right distortion, you know? And I, I didn't know about down tuning. I didn't know about, I didn't know about anything about like, creating tone and i think that's why i became so obsessed with it later in life it was like oh i found the answers and oh there's more but there's always more and it's a never-ending quest this is wonderful (laughs) 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 but like i just remember as a kid like trying to figure out like how like system of a down got their guitar tone and that information just wasn't you couldn't just google it and it wasn't there so it's always been a, a weird interest of mine that I don't know. Somehow it's it's taken over my life in a very strange way. But uh, I did want to ask you a question because you, you've had a, a kind of an interesting ride uh, getting to where you're at today. What is it like working at Old Blood Noise every day? It seems like it could be, I have like this image of what it would be like, but you know, like I talk to Joel and he's like, we have the beer policy. And I just like look at you guys and I'm like, they look like they would like just kind of all be off by themselves. I don't know. What's it like? So it's a weird time to ask that uh, because I have been working from home since March. (laughs) Um, Right. Well, okay. If we, if we rewind to, you know, February and before um, it's, it's, it's a a kind of a mix of both things because there's those collaborative moments where, um, you know, say I'm working on something and it's playing through an amp rather than my headphone setup and somebody hears it and walks in and asks me a question about it. And then we kind of dive in on like, oh yeah, maybe it could do like, we might end up developing a new feature for something or, you know, whatever. There's that very collaborative process of just as we're all kind of moving through the shop, just seeing each other hanging out. Um, the build room at various times we'll have you know podcasts or music going that like everybody's listening to but then other times everybody will just be on their headphones kind of just focused in on their own world so it's i don't know it's a little bit of everything i think we kind of have the same i, I don't think it's as explicit as joel's beer policy but it's the same deal, <laughs> you know, just, just be everybody be safe about it you want to drink a beer in the afternoon well that's fine as long as you're you know doing the job <laughs> right um so yeah it's as long as it I feel like turn it's into pretty, seven. yeah it's a pretty like it's a really fun work environment without interfering with the actual work of it it's more just a a good sort of collaborative workspace that i think we're all kind of missing now because it a lot of people are back at the shop but like me and and Seth and Kylan are still mostly working from home just because we are still able to and so it's like if 
if the job doesn't really require you to be there every day, then we're trying to maintain distance and be safe about everything. And everybody that's there is, you know, wearing masks and sanitizing and, you know, we're all, all just trying to get through it. So it's definitely 2020 working at old blood is very different because I'm, you know, I'm just chatting to you from my office where my office mate is my dog, Olive. And <laughs> I, <laughs> Hello, Oliver. I've been, yeah, <laughs> I've been working on, uh, you know, like new stuff. Like there's a, a thing that I kind of started earlier this year, um, that then largely got developed while I was at home. And so I brought a pretty close to working prototype. Like we're, we're chasing some noise issues and some different things, um, but I was able to bring it to the shop and kind of show Brady and Isaac like, yeah, so here's kind of roughly what it does. And they, it was like their eyes kept lighting up or they would discover this new thing. And I realized, oh, right. Normally throughout this process, everybody's hearing it or I'm going around showing it to everybody at the office at regular intervals. But this was one that just I just kept plugging away on and they trusted like, yeah, dance must be making something that sounds good. <laughs> so it was a very different experience to get to kind of show them this you know, almost done thing and realize, Oh, right. I'm the only one that's really heard much of it at this point. That's yeah. That's interesting. Cause I, I imagine there's a way more back and forth, like with, with a normal process, just, you're just in your hole, just kind of like lost, which it might be kind of interesting to see what you do, you know, largely on your own versus having the input, not saying that one method is better than the other, It'll just be interesting to see what, what comes out of it because it is so different. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's been some, some kind of moments along the way, like with, with Dweller and Visitor, those were both kind of moments where I was like, guys, what if we did something kind of like this? And we had the, you know, we kind of all had an initial discussion of like, yeah, it could be parallel modulations. And one is kind of pushing and pulling on the other. Uh, and so it's like, okay, great. And then I kind of even though I was at the shop at the time, I still kind of just put on headphones and yeah, dove and in, dove into my hole and <laughs> came back with these programs. It was like something like this, <laughs> and then, you know, and then we, and then we tweak from there. But yeah, it's funny when they're on the couple times that there has been that thing of like, you know, first 20% collaborative. And then like I dive in deep and get it like 60% further. And then we bounce back for <laughs> the last 20% to like, okay, is this all cool? Does any of this need to be reined in or pushed further or, whatever it might be. Um, so yeah, I know that, that that's, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say that's definitely a, a, an interesting quality of the collaborative workspace is just that you can get that sort of input more often. Uh, so I, you know, I hope it's turning out well, but I don't, I don't know. We'll find out when it comes out. <laughs> so. Yeah. The pedal world is, is so interesting to me because I mean, there are some processes that are basically the same, but the way different companies work, it, it varies way more, I think, than like, I mean, I don't really know because I haven't worked directly in either of the in, these industries, but it seems like auto industries kind of like build cars basically the same way. You know, they all do the assembly line. They all do like it all kind of is done roughly the same way, but pedals while they're much simpler, and maybe this is why, you know, one guy might build it start to finish in his garage, you know, through hole by hand, blah, 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 does the whole thing himself. Another company might have everything delivered to them ready to go. And they, you know, QC it and send it out the door. It's just really, 
I've never seen so much variance for a similar outcome of product, which is kind of kind of weird in my brain. I don't know where I'm going with this thought, but it's just a strange thought I had the other day. Yeah, you're you're taking me along for the ride where I'm like, yeah, that is I had not thought of that before, but it is it is interesting. And I wonder if it does just come from a place of like if if at some point, you know, the auto industry or you know, pick your major manufacturing industry sort of they all kind of saw each other's processes in a way where they all sort of tended toward the same point of like, this is a good way to make cars, you know? Uh, and in the world of effects pedals, it seems like it usually starts with that one person in their garage messing around with something. They're on a breadboard or they're coding something strange or whatever it is. It starts with that kind of that one person and their idea of like sort of the creative process. And so then you have this very strange mix of companies where, you know, like Old Blood, as we're growing, we're, I, th- I think we're up to 11 people. I'd have to, I'd have to count now, <laughs> but we're like 10 or 10 or 12 people. Um, and we sort of, we start having to establish processes to help us get more efficient and consistent with certain things that used we used to be able to relax on like as, as somebody running the inventory system it's very interesting seeing how certain elements just can't really scale as well as others you know the it, it can't be a group of people that are all kind of just building on their own pace it has to be a much more managed like okay uh you're gonna need to build this you're gonna need to build this uh, it looks like we're low on this inventory parts so we need to specifically allocate it here here and here until the next batch comes in and um you have to start implementing more systems as it gets bigger but it's you're at least in our case the way that we implement systems is not to some industry standard it's just to you know maybe we hear ideas from from other companies but it's really just about where are we, where are we trying to get, uh, let's brainstorm a way to get there, you know? Yeah, it's interesting. One thing that I've taken a lot out of is, well, I've taken it out secondhand because I haven't read it myself, but uh, Scott, uh, I have referenced him on literally every episode because we talk almost every <laughs> single day, but uh, he's read the uh, Toyota like lean manufacturing book and he's always referencing things out of there. And I'm like, wow. Oh wow! They, yeah, those Japanese people really got things figured out. <laughs> they, they really, they uh, they've got that whole manufacturing idea really dialed into a to a science. It's very interesting, you know. For somebody doing what you do, it might be a a handy read one of these days. Just throwing it yeah, out there. Yeah, I may I may have to go to it. Yeah, that's. I don't know what it's called, but I'm sure if you Google Toyota manufacturing book, it will come up. The great yeah, I'm Google sure it's machine a very knows well. all well-referenced thing <laughs> for sure so i just pulled out my phone does, as if i was oh, about to google toyota book and like start reading it now I don't, that's a funny funny reflex to have <laughs> well you can like we should well since we're talking about it so much i wonder just, what it's called let's just read it together here <laughs> yeah we'll just read it. this will become a reading of the toyota manufacturing book which is called here it comes to, no what oh, come on let's Come on, Google. You let me down. That's not what I want. Let's try that again. <laughs> Here we go. The Toyota Way. There you go. Ooh, the Toyota Way. There we go. All right. The, at least that's the Interested first thing that Interested supply up. chain oriented listeners can look up <laughs> the Toyota the Way. The Toyota Way. 
So I was about to ask before we yeah, dove sorry. into that <laughs> random segment. Uh, so what kind of uh, what kind of gear are you playing these days? I know you've you're you're a gear nerd. You wouldn't listen to this podcast this often if you weren't. Yeah. So tell me about it. <laughs> Yeah, I think I'm definitely a like creative type nerd. It's always fascinating to hear different builders' approaches and stories and 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 everything. I think especially this is this is a sidetrack. We'll get to the question, but especially like early on when I was starting to to tinker around with with stuff, and I I mentioned that I read the the Wampler books and then started listening to Chasing Tone, and I can't remember if I had already started listening to Tone Mob a little bit, but that kind of naturally linked to listening to both of those and just hearing you know, people like Joel or, you know, Robert Keeley or just, I don't know, all, all different people that have very different paths into it. Uh, it's, it's always fascinating to listen to their processes. Um, but so in terms of the actual gear that they make, I'm, I'm looking at my board right now, like, what am I playing lately? I feel like, um, so I just got the, the Chase Bliss and Benson Automaton, which is, I mean, just amazing. It's, it's, I don't know how much time you've, you've spent with it. I imagine some at least, but a little tiny bit, not, not as much as you would think, but, uh, I hope to change that soon. Oh, it is. Uh, yeah. It's just, it's, it's deep. There's a lot of the fact that the fuzz circuit is just a button. That's like, it's either off or on or on, but gated. And it's like this, I'm not super well versed in fuzz facey type circuits, but it has that I get the impression that it's like that where it really cleans up with your volume and everything. And it's like, you just hit a button and your fuzz is on and it's this incredibly well-voiced fuzz that plays differently with different pedals and guitars and everything. And it's just like that, that feature alone is like, man, they were really, they were really onto something with this. Um, and then before that, I've got the small sound, big sound mini, which is just mm, super incredible pedal. preamp, like clean boost up to, kind of fuzzy overdrive um i've got it just kind of doing a, a heavy heavy boosting overdrive thing into the into the preamp right now and then the the wampler dual fusion after that because the the left side of it which is kind of paisley drive-esque um does this weird thing where it just like really crumbles under the weight of big overdrives going into it uh and when i discovered that i was like normally i'd think put the kind of tube screamer-esque pedal like earlier but just crushing it with multiple preamps is actually a lot of fun <laughs> so nice um and then yeah i've got the ibanez swell flanger which if i don't know if anybody follows me on instagram i feel like they've seen those overdrives and that flanger just constantly i feel like part of me just wants to make like an entire rock record with just that sound and just cleaning up with the volume knob because it's there's a lot of fun to be had there um, and then some, some sort of weirder stuff. I've, I've got the, the red Panda lab tensor right next to the, the chase bliss mood, um, which, uh, is a little bit selfish cause I worked on the, the left side of that pedal, but it's, uh, it's right. It's one of those instances where it's like, I, I'll play the delay or the reverb and be like, yeah, I guess it makes sense that I like that sound since <laughs> I made it <laughs> and right. to get to <laughs> interact with that and like all the, the clock control and you know, the, uh, the ramping functions and all kind of all the chase bliss stuff. And then also the drollo looping side, just, it's, it's, it's just a really inspirational machine still. That's just been on my board since, since it came out. Um, and the tensor kind of similar, like I got one, put it on my board and then it just hasn't left just for weird sort of, 
ambient like just things happening below your signal different reverse sounds and pitch shifting and tape kind of slower fast tape playback type sounds to kind of just exist underneath your playing um yeah and i've i've been really into the the two notes uh, cab m this year because i've been you know in my apartment so and for months both me and my fiance were working here so i was like all kind of all headphones when i was playing through stuff to to not you know interrupt her workspace because you know old blood you hear noises all the time but uh big brothers big sisters of oklahoma not so much <laughs> um, <laughs> and so, um, i uh uh I'll, I'll, sort of early on in quarantine uh two notes put out a firmware update that added a preamp sim on top of the like the power amp and cab sims that were already in there and that really pushed it over the edge into just this really incredible sounding headphone solution. So that's become kind of my go-to amp. Although I also have a Benson amp on the way at some point here, which uh, once that arrives, I can't imagine I'm going to play anything else. But have, can't can't get? rave on it yet. But I'm uh, I went with the Vincent. Uh, oh my man! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice i think you may have even been the first like you posted a picture of the vincent very early on in that like the forest green with the gold check and everything and i was just like it's beautiful it's so beautiful <laughs> not even having heard it but just knowing like it's a benson it looks like that and then uh hearing like you and other folks just using it and playing through it it's like yep that's that's the sound and the look so i've got uh yeah I went with one of those <laughs> good man yeah i uh, i know i'm incredibly biased but that amp really i mean there's still amps i want with like that have very specific characters but that amp really cured me i didn't i have i haven't like super gassed hard for an amp i i still want an orange really bad i still like a uh slow and uh, or slo i don't know what the correct you know, term is, you know, some of the yeah, higher gain stuff, um, 5150, things like that. I'd like to get some of that just because I, I listen to a lot of music that has that kind of sound and I, I don't really have access to that. But the, the Vincent is the perfect amp for me, which is, I mean, why I was like, Chris, we should do, you should do this. It was entirely selfish. <laughs> That's <laughs> so, right. Yeah. I forget. Yeah. Cause I forgot that you, that was like, kind of came from you, like, pushing a chimera with a vinny or just yeah using the vinny as like a, a preamp into another amp i mean like this is a sound this is a very good sound <laughs> well yeah when he made the vinny i was like hey dude could you think you can put i know it's a one watt amp but is it quiet like it, i don't know anything about making amps so this was just me spitballing i was like could you do an instrument level out so we, and i was more thinking for a direct recording which it works great for as well but once i was like wait a minute this wood could be an overdrive pedal. And I was telling Chris about it. He's like, oh yeah, I found that the other day. It's fantastic. And yeah, then Vincent came along. And weirdly enough, uh, my son Vincent doesn't, I, like we made the Vinny kind of in celebration of his birth. And he doesn't like to be called Vinny at all. He likes to be called <laughs> Vincent. <laughs> he gets really mad when you call him Vinny. <laughs> and so he's probably going to try to lay claim to my vincent number one one of these days so, but yeah so it was it was meant to be that the vincent would become an amp eventually <laughs> because yeah 
but uh, yeah, you're gonna. I think you're gonna be really happy with it. I think what is overlooked about it is you don't have to turn it up that loud. If you can, that's great. Obviously, that's a lot of fun. But I think you'll find that it's obviously not going to be as quiet as the two note situation. But being able to crank that Vinny into the Chimera and then just adjust the Chimera to wherever you need it to be. I think you're going to be really happy with that. Yeah, I'm I'm very excited to like explore it in a low volume situation for however long. And then eventually once, you know, once we're able to play shows again, like take it to a Plains Peak practice and then just, yeah, turn that volume knob up and see what happens there. You know, I feel like it's going to be, I'm going to have multiple revelatory experiences with this amp. (laughs) So pretty stoked. Yeah. The effects loop on it is, is a lot of fun. And that was another thing that I had to twist Chris arm about. He finally like, he, you know, because some effects loop give it that whooshy sound. And this doesn't do that because essentially it's it's not really a traditional effects loop. It's just in between the two amps. So it's a, it's a little bit different and it works okay, really yeah. well. So that's nice. our yeah, big I'll Benson to, commercial to for today. For sure. yeah. <laughs> I was just looking at my board and I realized that I also forgot to plug the uh, this the Strymon Flint, which for just reverb and tremolo I've had that was another pedal that I just put on my board and it's just always on because the like my amps don't have reverb and tremolo and it's just that perfect like you need a little bit of each of those this is this is that sound you know uh and then more importantly I've got a visitor right before that um and so I thought I should have mentioned you know that I'm also using the old blood noise visitor as like a last in chain modulation which is really fun with having like a phaser and a chorus at the end, uh, just giving it suddenly like all this like space and widening and movement and and everything. So I just I felt like I'd be remiss if I didn't plug the fact that you know an old blood pedal was like right there too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably a good idea. Brady will probably like that. It's good. <laughs> you're you're welcome, Brady. <laughs> you're welcome, Brady. <laughs> so that does lead me to another question I wanted to ask you. What is your favorite old blood pedal? Is it the visitor? <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. So I've got the visitor on my board right now. It's uh, I have it at the end of my chain, and it just gives it extra. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I feel like it's so funny. I should have any uh, like a quick answer to this question, but I think the I'm definitely really into the visitor right now, um, and. I feel like Dweller has this weird quality of just being, it may not be the pedal I play most of ours, um, which probably the one I play the most is actually the Black Fountain because you can just leave it on as like a kind of doubling delay and just thickens everything up, um, which that that's fun because that's a, that's a design that was from before I worked at Old Blood and then just recently we've uh, updated it with like tap tempo and just kind of expanded the time range a little bit and I was able to implement those changes and so it was a real a real fun experience to go back you know six years after having worked with the company for five years and and having developed all this new knowledge to apply some of it to that sound that I already loved um so yeah, I feel like that's probably the one I've used the most. Uh, but then the one that's kind of my baby is the Dweller, just because I think it represents a time where I felt 
confident that like I still have imposter syndrome constantly as I'm sure so many of us do, but that was oh, a yeah. moment where I felt like this really sounds different. Like I just, I don't know anything that sounds like dweller and I don't know if people are going to like it or not, but I at least feel comfortable that it will put people in a new headspace when they, when they play around with it. Um, so that's kind of my go-to, like it just, I, I don't play it that often, but usually when I do, it's just like, yeah, this is, this is a sound that I just don't hear anywhere else. So I really appreciate it for that. I think you hit the nail on the head that out of all the pedals, I mean, I have the dark star and that's the one that like I think about just cause it's the one I own. Um, but the dweller is probably the one that put me the most out there when I played it. I was like, Whoa, I was like, we got, we got some exploring to do. <laughs> like, this is, <laughs> This one gets out there, man. So yeah, I I get it. I think you're right. That would be the one that puts people in a different headspace, and that's saying something for the old blood family of effects. That's <laughs> yeah. We have a, we have a lot of those types of sounds. That's just the one that still surprises me to this day and feels yeah. like it feels like you really have to reckon with it. <laughs> you do. You do. You got to be prepared. You got to be prepared to dwell. It's a <laughs> it's a fun time. Well, let's see. How much time do we got here? Okay. Yeah, we still got still have a little bit of time. What is your this is a this is a fun one for industry people, I think. What is your favorite NAM memory? Ooh. Um Okay, it's actually from I thought it was going to be hard and then somehow immediately I was like, nope, that's the one. Um, <laughs> it was uh because it was earlier this year, so it was uh, the NAM in, in Anaheim in January, um, which I went to, We, I guess we met back at the uh, winter NAM when we did the like open call coffee and riffs at uh, Windsor Homebrew in Costa Mesa. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we actually met there, but I know we were at least both there. And it's funny to think back on that being like an early, I had just joined the company. You, I don't know if, I'm assuming Tone Mob had started at that point, but it was probably new as well. It was really new. And that was my first ever like, quote unquote, industry meetup ever. Okay. So yeah. Same. I didn't know like, anybody. I, <laughs> like, I mean, I, I I knew the sixty cycle guys because I had done the podcast with them. I knew the sinusoid guys a little bit. Uh, we had done some giveaways and stuff, but we hadn't like talked in depth. And who else did I know? That's pretty much it. And like Jess and Leon and I were just like, here we are. We don't know what we're doing, but here we are. And then like. I brought all this gear because I wasn't really sure what was going on. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I was like, and then like it kind of started with like, I was told like, yeah, do a jam in A and we're going to layer over the top of it. And so I just kind of did these drony chords and then like I watched back on the video and I was like, oh, that's not what ended up happening. So I just kind of <laughs> sound like I didn't do anything. <laughs> But yeah, sorry, sorry to interrupt. I'm just oh no, that's back totally fine. I just yeah, I, I had a moment of like I've only been to two of the winter nams. I've been to a few summer nams and some deli stomp boxes and other you know industry events. But that was my first ever industry event, um, and I just realized, oh wait, you were there too. I think we were both sort of early on in our explorations of of this crazy pedal world. Um, yep. 
but so then yeah fast forwarding from january 2016 to january 2020 uh i i mentioned earlier that i've been a huge fan of blur since like middle school and have really grown to appreciate a lot of graham coxon's guitar playing and i was just wandering around at this nam and just ran into him like he was over near the reverend booth and i was at rev or some i don't know i was was somewhere nearby and i just like glanced over and it's like fully alone is graham coxon you know one of my like guitar hero guys (laughs) and i just sort of like almost blacked out just walked over and was like uh hi you know shook his hand i was like big fan and then we just end up talking about some of the reverend guitars and stuff just chatting for a few minutes while i was thinking like this is this is really surreal uh i i've met a lot of people that I'm, I'm fans of, and I try to keep, uh, it's kind of an old blood joke of Dan O'Fano, uh, is the guy that like, <laughs> uh, gets overly excited when like a band is coming to visit. It's like, Oh, I used to listen to them in high school or <laughs> things like that. So I always try to try to keep Dan O'Fano at bay and just like have, you know, Dan from old blood talk to the person. Um, and this was like the closest I've gotten to Dan O'Fano just really taking over. <laughs> um, oh, no. but, we ended up just, but we ended up just, just talking about some guitars and things. And I was like, well, anyway, you know, just really good to meet you. Just huge fan. Just, uh, just felt like I had to say hi. And then I feel this hand on my shoulder and I, and I turn and it's like, Oh, there's a security guy. And he's like, Hey, can you scoot out of the aisle? And so me and Graham Coxon both scoot a little further into the Reverend booth and then Stevie wonder and his entourage walk by. And I just had this moment of like, I'm meeting one of my guitar heroes and the, uh, the like cap off to the story is the fact that Stevie Wonder walked by. <laughs> it's just like this is this is officially the most surreal thing I've experienced as a person in this industry. <laughs> that's amazing. So, that is yeah, incredible. Yeah, there's been I mean so many good times with with industry fo- folks and artists and just it, I mean we could go down a rabbit hole of all the good Nam memories, but that's just one that's so surreal to me. That's like yep, that's that's the one. That, that that's tough to beat. That's a that's a good good Nam memory right there. And that's yeah, and it's, that's like why we suffer through the through the event. I think is yeah. to <laughs> hopefully have a little glimmer of some of that in our in our lives. Last uh, Nam, it's funny we both had this happen at the last Nam, which feels like it was three years ago. By the way, it was in January, but it, wow, it feels like forever ago. Yeah, uh, Jess and I were riding. Uh, we're, I can't remember if we were riding. Yeah, we were riding down an escalator. I can't remember. We were riding down or up an escalator, and we were kind of by ourselves. And out of nowhere, there's this man coming up the opposite way, pointing at us and yelling. Uh, and I'm like, what? And we look, and it's Jeff Garland. And he's he just pointed <laughs> at us and shouted, you two, you two men enjoy your beards. And, and just... <laughs> <laughs> and scooted on by and i was like Je- was that jeff garland and it was jeff garland it was definitely jeff garland <laughs> i was like wow that only at nam only at nam it was amazing that's amazing that's i love that jeff garland is able to give that moment to people too like he knows if he yells a goofy thing at a couple people 
there's a good chance that they will recognize him and just ha- and just walk away with one this incredible memory of like I cannot believe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Jess saw him later, like in the back of the Gibson booth, and he's like, "I'm sorry, I hate to do this, but you did yell at me the other <laughs> on the escalator. Can I please get a selfie?" <laughs> and he's like, "Okay, real quick, but don't let anybody else see you." <laughs> so yeah, that's a. Good time. But man, I don't know. Stevie Wonder is Stevie Wonder. Oh, sidebar on Stevie Wonder before we got to go. Have you heard the the celebrity rumor that Stevie Wonder's not actually blind? He's just I, pretending. I have. That is a that's been a a group discussion rabbit hole in Old Blood before, in fact. Like I feel like I've ended up in that discussion a few times of like you go down that rabbit hole of like, yeah, how did why is he holding the camera or how did he know this thing or like how did he catch that mic stand? That mic stand, also, that's the one that stood out. I was like, how yeah. did he, if he didn't know that was coming, how did he catch the mic stand? How did he do it, Stevie? It's just what are you it's hiding? such a crazy conspiracy where it's like, I'd, I'm just going to roll with like, no, Stevie Wonder's blind. I, I will accept that. I will trust Stevie Wonder. But that is pretty weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you feel exactly the same way I, I feel. I don't I don't really think that he's not blind, but there are sure some strange coincidences occasionally. He, he, Maybe he a just got superhuman. You know? That's exactly what I was say. He may just something. be a, yeah, superhuman. <laughs> I mean, if he the, isn't. If we, the music we can... is any indication, then he's probably exactly. superhuman. <laughs> I was like, he's definitely superhuman in at least one way. What's to stop him from having radar sense? all right man well we've got a couple classic questions to wrap up on so let's do this thing what do you say let's do it okay first of all here's your billboard opportunity this is where you can put out whatever you want to put out into the world say what you want to say and uh, this is your chance to do it you know i've heard you give this opportunity to many other people but i didn't even think about it this morning of like what would i put on my billboard uh, yeah, I don't know if I have anything other than just like being good to each other and being good to yourself and trying to do the thing that feels authentically you like that. A lot of our discussion has been about the weird ways we and others end up in the music industry. And so there's definitely sort of something to be said there for like, keep working, keep keep trying, keep trying to put yourself in, in situations where you can have an opportunity to explore the things that are really important to you. And then just like along the way, be, just be good to other people. You know, it's this, we're in an industry that is mostly full of really great people that are truly supportive of each other. And we, we all want each other to do well. You know, it's an industry where kind of the better we, the, the better each company does the better we all do you know it's just to grow together mm-hmm. and i don't know i think it's just important for people to remember that like wherever wherever they are to just be kind to people along the way all along the way um which is very uh i don't know there's not a lot of insight in that but it's just something i think is important to say when you get a moment of like what's what's the important thing well be good to yourself and be good to those around you that's that's really what it boils down to. I think we need a little extra reminder of that this year. Maybe not the people who listen to this podcast so much, but maybe the people who do listen to this podcast. I don't know. All the listeners that have ever reached out to me have been super cool, so I feel like they already know. But I think it's an important thing for people to say, and it's 
it's easy to not have that be top of mind and be driving down the road and be like, ah, this idiot is doing X, Y, Z. I'm going to, ah, and it's like, you know, that guy, he maybe he's an idiot or maybe he's just having a bad day. He's probably just having a bad day, most likely. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. All right, here we go to less serious stuff. What's your favorite boss pedal? (laughs) Okay, so this one I did think about a little bit. So the I I'm realizing that I don't actually have like I haven't played a lot of boss pedals except briefly. I, I guess I should say I haven't really owned a lot of boss pedals. I've owned you know a TU two, and I'm blanking on anything else except the the CS two the the older compressor, which mm-hmm. I've had for probably a decade that was that was one of my early purchases of like maybe 2009 ish like somewhere around there where i was first reading like effects pedal forums and stuff and starting the deep dive of like wow this this world of boutique pedals and vintage pedals and there's there's so many pedals out there and a lot of people were swearing by the cs2 at that time and i'm sure a lot of people still do but it was like yeah cs3 it's it's like a different circuit it's just not not the same thing but the cs2 just has this like this really warm squishy like i i i can't really describe it but like literally just turn every knob all the way up and it's loud and kind of messy but really lovely and put that into like an overdrive or something and there's just something really really special about that so that's the that's the boss pedal that i've owned for a long time and still haven't i've played a lot of other compressors that i really like but none of them sound like that one, you know. It's a it's much more of a character compressor, I think. It's not going to be the transparent tonal enhancer, uh, but it does the thing it does very well. Um, and then also shout out to the VB2, which is a pedal I still have yet to play, but the amount of times that I've heard it and gone either that VB2 sounds incredible or oh, that sound is incredible. I wonder what that guitar player was using and then landing at the spot of, oh, apparently it was VB2. Uh, that is just like a really magical uh, vibrato pedal that I really need to play someday. I should actually should actually get one now that the, the Waza reissues exist. Um, yeah, me too. I've never actually played one either, but I've had similar experiences to yourself. Like, oh, well, that's what that is. All right, cool. Yeah, cool. it's noted. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's so, it's so many points along the way. It was like I, I was watching Dawes live, and um, my buddy Tyler was like, there was a sound, and he was like, ah, that VB2 sounds so good, and I, and I wouldn't have known what it was, but he pointed out, and I was like, oh man, you're right, it does. And then like, um, I don't know if you listen to the band Midnight Oil at all, but they uh, put out uh, like a live, I think a double album a year or two ago that. Um, there's a lot of VB2 all over it, but it was again, a situation of, man, this guy's guitar sound is incredible. I really wonder what he's using. And especially that vibrato sound. And it's like, yep, it was the, it was the VB2 yet again. <laughs> so. There it is. Keeps coming back. Yeah. We got to do ourselves a favor and snatch one up here pretty yeah. soon. Okay. Final question. Here we go. And you know what it is. I know what it is. What's your, fa- <laughs> what's your favorite kind of pizza? <laughs> Good question. I would like to explore this in three parts. <laughs> okay, I'm ready. Let's no, do not, it. not really. Well, maybe we could. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it's just a tough choice because I've gotten really into making pizza over the last 
like year and a half or so. Um, got a which is exactly why I wanted to talk to you about this. Okay, okay, so we can so we can dive into it. Um, yeah, because I was given a book for Christmas uh, by Ken Forkish, who's a like a Portland guy. Uh, I think you've talked about these. Uh, I'm blanking on any of yes. his places, but he multiple pizzerias in checkerboard in pizza is is probably my favorite pizza spot in Portland, and it's a Forkish offshoot. There we so, go. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah, and then uh, I think Ken's Artisan was the place that I went. I uh, we visited Portland a while back and went to Ken's Artisan with a, with a friend of ours, and then later I was like, oh wait, Ken Forkish, Ken's Artisan. This is that guy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, but exactly. His, yeah, his his book uh, on just making pizza is like just perfect. Like we we followed the directions, and suddenly we're making these really incredible at home pizzas. So I feel like. First shout out is just to a classic margarita pizza because when we pull that off with just like basic tomato sauce, fresh mozzarella and basil and everything lands right with the dough from scratch and just everything along the way. It's like it's it's such a magical thing where the ingredients are so simple and minimal, but it just everything works together. You know, it's the classic. Um and then a recent discovery was pepperoni and basil together, kind of inspired by mm-hmm. the idea of putting the basil on at the end. So, like, we'll cook a straightforward pepperoni pizza with just a bunch of pepperoni that's cut in a way that it'll it'll curl up. And mm. um, so just, you know, dough, like a kind of New York-ish, you know, like thinner, just like hand-stretched dough, tomato sauce, mozzarella, pepperoni and then right when it comes out of the oven throw basil on it and there's something about the basil and pepperoni this was like just maybe only a few weekends ago my uh my fiance and i were like oh my gosh basil and pepperoni is a thing i did not know (laughs) um but then to actually like pick a favorite it's kind of an experiential uh favorite and it's this uh Detroit style pizza from a place called Cottage Inn that is um, at least available in Michigan. I don't know how regional it is. It doesn't make it down to Oklahoma, but it's in Michigan. So I'm not sure how far outside of Michigan it goes. But this was like, uh, my, so I met my fiance when we were both going to Michigan State. And uh, she's originally from Ann Arbor. And it was like fairly early on, you know, meeting her parents in Ann Arbor, like on a, on a pizza night, they ordered this chicken Mediterranean pizza from Cottage Inn. And so it's like that kind of Detroit style, like pan thicker crust with the like really caramelized edge from the, the olive oil. And uh, it's got mozzarella, chicken, uh, banana peppers, feta, and then like an herb shake uh, and sesame seeds around the crust. Um, and so just this really excellent, like delivery pizza, you know, you go, you go to the Chenevere house, you're it's pizza night, you know, good chance you're going to get, at least if Haley and I are there, we're going to suggest you get a chicken Mediterranean pizza. (laughs) Um, but you can't get it down here. And so on her birthday this year, I was like, let me see how close I can get (laughs) with the pan pizza recipe from Ken Forkish and just the knowledge of the toppings and everything. And somehow magically we pretty much nailed it. And so now that's, we've done it many times since then uh, and are just like so proud of this Detroit style chicken Mediterranean pizza that it's like, I don't even know if it's my favorite pizza, but it's almost like how Dweller isn't necessarily my favorite pedal, but it's the one I want to tell people about 
the okay. Mediterranean <laughs> pizza that we make. It's like, I don't know if it's my favorite, but I just want to tell you this story of how it's from a delivery place that we loved in Michigan and can't get it here. So we just figured out how to make it and we got real close. <laughs> I love that. I love that. That's fantastic. I feel kind of similarly about uh, uh, some of my barbecue experiments. I like very much just trying to replicate what I had in Memphis. And sometimes mm, yeah. I, I pull it out and I'm like, you did it. <laughs> you did it. <laughs> By God, you've done it. <laughs> so, yeah, I understand the feeling. I do. That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on, man. This was a lot of fun. I, I really enjoyed this chat like I knew that I would. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It was good to uh, good to just chat for a while about gear and food and everything. Yeah, Perfect. Perfect. All right, everybody. For Dan, this is Blake. And as always, folks, good luck and good tones. All right. That happened. We did it. And we did it successfully with no smoky interruptions like I was, you know, not going to lie, slightly concerned about considering all the goings-ons and what happened when Seth and Brady came on last time. If you haven't heard that episode, slide back. It's actually a really good episode, even though, you know, some insanity happened in the middle of that recording. So if you go Google old blood noise tone mob, I'm sure I'm positive that will come up. So go check that out. That's a really good episode as well. And if you want more content with Dan, you can go to patreon.com slash tone mob. And like I said in the intro, for just five bucks a month, you'll help support the show and get extra content. So if that's a thing you like, patreon.com slash tone mob is the place you go. If that doesn't work, please, 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 please share this with people that you care about. Share it with your gear nerd community, whatever community that might be a part of. That might be some random Facebook group. It might be some forum that you're on. It might be your buddies that you drink beer with. I don't know who it is, but you've got gear nerd friends most likely, and they need to know about this show. They need to. They just need to. Okay, I don't know if they need to, but I would really appreciate it if you would share it with them. That would help me out immensely, like immensely, immensely. Every download honestly means a whole lot to a podcaster, and it's just literally how we pay the bills. So thank you very much for everybody that has done that. Please share this with a friend if you can. All right. I'm going to sign off now. You can get to another show. I hope you're doing well. Hope you're fine. And I hope you're happy. And I hope this was a fun episode for you. All right. Talk to you next time. Bye-bye. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company. And I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com Stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things. And by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style. Again, the link for that is tonemob.com stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? 
Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple, and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstory as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gunstreet harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunstreetWiringShop.com and check them out. 